This is the Crescent Project, bringing you powerful teaching, testimony, and truth about God's miraculous movement in the Muslim world and how we as Christians can join Him in this kingdom work. I'm Matt Bonner, and I serve as a regional director with the Crescent Project, a national Christian ministry focused on equipping the church to share the gospel with Muslims. You can find us online at crescentproject.org. And welcome to Crescent Project Radio. Today we're blessed to have on the show with us a great friend of Crescent Project over the years, Abdu Murray. Abdu is a former Muslim, and his family's from Lebanon. He is an international speaker and writer and guest on radio and TV shows really across the nation and the world. And so uh, he's an, a lawyer by trade and has published numerous articles and myriad publications in print and online. Abdu is the visiting professor of Christian thought and apologetics at the Josh McDowell Institute of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. And he's involved in a number of ministries, InterVarsity, Campus Crusade, North American Mission Board, I2 Ministries, and of course, Crescent Project, serving as a guest lecturer and teacher at a number of our events, our Bridges One Day Seminars and our Oasis Conferences, and then also our Sahara Challenge Intensive Training that we have every summer. Abdu is the co-founder and president of Embrace the Truth International. And I want to uh, share the mission statement of this organization because I really think it says a lot about, you know, what drives Abdu and his ministry efforts. Uh, Embrace the Truth International exists to offer Muslims, Jews, cult members, and skeptics the value of embracing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter the cost, through the demonstration of sound apologetics, personal testimony, and the expression of Christ-like love, gentleness, and respect for tradition, belief, and the individual. So it's a fantastic mission, and it really says a lot about what they're what they're about, and really about his new book. And so, so Abdu, welcome to the program. Well, Matt, thanks for having me on. Oh man, we're great grateful for your time, and just and thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, Abdu is uh, the, our current featured author of the month at Crescent Project, having just released his new book, Grand Central Question: Answering the Critical Questions of the Major World Views. So we want to get into his book and hear all about that. But first, I really need to make a plug for his uh, his preceding book, uh, Apocalypse Later, Why the Gospel of Peace Must Trump the Politics of Prophecy in the Middle East. And I've got to tell you, folks, this is a fantastic book of truly enormous depth. I loved it. I really loved it. And it's no doubt entirely important for uh, the times we live in, you know, and, the, and relevant to the ongoing uh, crisis in the Middle East and things that are going on discussions of prophecy of Israel and all the politics that goes with it. So I really highly recommend this book. Uh, you can find it on our website, uh, crescentproject.org and the resource section. And of course on Abdu's website, embrace the truth.org. So with that, I want to get into Abdu's new book, uh, grand central question. Abdu, tell us about the basis for this book and, and how it came about. Well, you know, how it came about, uh, Matt, was that I had been giving a number of uh, talks on major world religions and major world views, actually, not just religious views, but also non-religious views like secular humanism and sort of the rise of the, of the so-called new atheists. And I, I began to see something as I was giving these talks, and I've done these numerous times in numerous venues, whether they're in debates or uh, college campuses or at churches trying to equip Christians to, uh, to better reach out to their non-Christian friends. I begin to see something emerging, that all these views are trying to answer lots of questions. They're all very complicated views. We can't oversimplify them. Um, secular humanism is, a, is, is one of the many varieties of atheism, for example, uh, tries to answer lots of questions. But really, there's four fundamental questions. Uh, th- those are basically have to, have to do with our origins. You know, how did we get here? Mm-hmm. The purpose, what is the point of being here? 
um, then the human condition. Why are things the way they are? And then finally, is there a way out of this mess? Is there a better life? Is there a salvation? Or is there a utopia we can create for ourselves? So we have questions of origin, questions of purpose, questions of pain, and then, of course, uh, dealing with the ideas of how do we actually de- um, you know, get out of this mess and, and, and ultimate destinies, whether it's heaven or something else. Right. These are four fundamental questions everyone's trying to answer. Mm. But what I really started to see emerging was, as you look at the major world religions and the major worldviews, even atheistic ones, you see that these views are born out of a desire to answer one major question. Now, they're trying to answer lots of questions, but they have one major question, and they claim to answer that question better than anybody else does. Mm. And my thesis was this. If the gospel is true, and it's truly relevant, not only is it true, but also truly relevant, it would answer that question that the other worldviews have, that non-Christian worldviews have, it would answer that question better than they would. Mm. So it would affirm the question, and it would affirm the questioner, but it would tell them, if you want a real answer to that question, and I'm glad you asked, so to speak, mm-hmm. then you have to find the answer in the Gospel, and the Gospel's uh, where that's at. So I, I began to see that emerge, and I wanted to um, uh, put that into the hands of Christians and non-Christians alike, because I think that that's what um, uh, uh, really stirred me here, was that Christians are paralyzed sometimes into mm-hmm. witnessing for, to, uh, to others because they think that they have to know everything about that view in order to uh, begin to witness something. So if you're talking to, to a Muslim, you have to know everything about Islam. You, you don't. Right. You, you, you have, all you have to really know is the Bible, and, to, and all you have to really know is the basis for the, for the Christian faith. Right. But it helps to know something about that worldview. Sure. But if you know the grand central question, mm-hmm. then you're a better able, better equipped to reach out to them um, in a way that touches their mind and their heart. And I think that that's, that that's really the central idea for the book. How do we bridge the mind-heart gap? We have to do both, the mind and the heart, because we're reaching people. We're not answering questions, we're answering people. And that's what I think we have to do, and, and that's what I wanted to do in the book. Wow, that sounds awesome. That sounds great. Well, what, what, tell us a little bit about, you know, when the reader looks at this, uh, what can, what can he expect to find? I mean, I love the, I love the promo video that you did for the book. It was well okay. done. Uh, tell us a little bit about, a little bit more about what they, what readers can expect when they, when they can kind of get into the book. Well, what I wanted to do was create a book where if you, um, I have two bookends in, in, in the book, so to speak, to, to, uh, to pun intended, I suppose. Um, <laughs> I wanted to have a pro, I wanted to have a prologue that talks about, you know, how do we approach uh, ideas of truth? And, and, and all these pe- people from different worldviews always have uh, some commonalities. It isn't always the intellectual objections that matter to them. They'll say it is, and I certainly, uh, in my own story, can tell you that I thought it was the intellectual objections that were really the point mm-hmm. of my resistance to the gospel. Um, but really, it was the emotional costs uh, uh, for accepting the truth of the gospel uh, that, 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 are, that, that are there. So we'll exp- you, you, what you can do is first read the prologue. Mm-hmm. The prologue goes through some stories and some illustrations, and some really, I think, some observations over the years of ministry about how tough it is to actually get to the heart of the questions and understand that your emotional objections are often more important to you than your intellectual objections. Mm-hmm. Then uh, the book is broken down into three major sections. There's a section on secular humanism and what is the central question for secular humanism and how do we address it. Mm-hmm. And then the third section is on pantheism, uh, which ranges all over the place. People don't realize this, but they hear pantheism and they think, oh, Hinduism and Buddhism and just Eastern philosophies. But it's quite Western now, mm. from Oprah to Chopra to Eckhart Tolle to <laughs> um, Marianne Williamson to all these folks and all the New Agers and the Shirley MacLaine's of the world. Mm-hmm. We are we are thoroughly bathed in Eastern thought and pantheistic thinking. Mm-hmm. 
So we need to be able to have a response um, right. to, to that view, and Christians can have a response to the grand central question there. And of course, the third section is about Islam and how do we answer the grand central question that Muslims have. Mm-hmm. So the, the good, the, the, what I like about the way the structure is laid out is, if you have a, if you're trying to reach out to skeptics, just go to the section on on, on secular humanism. Sure, a Muslim friend, you just, just just go to the section on. Uh, Islam. You don't have to read the other sections. You don't have to read them in order. You can read them in whatever order you like. Um, I do recommend reading all of it, but you don't have to read all of it. You can just read the prologue and then any section you want uh, in any order you like. And I think that's one of the beauties of the way in which the book is structured. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I, that makes a lot of sense for sure. Well, I love how you talk about in your your promo video about you know th- that you you really do appeal to you're trying to appeal to these you know these deep and very valid questions that people have. And, um, and, and I love that the broad appeal to, again, that you, that you're making to, uh, people of different, uh, backgrounds and, 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 and faith traditions and, and worldviews. And I, I think that's really good. Talk to us about that because I think it's, because I think that, uh, kind of, I think a lot of people would think that you, from you coming out of a, of a Muslim background, you would think, oh, well, you know, he would mostly be wanting to focus just on, you know, people who come out of Islam, but that's not the case. And, and I think it's interesting that in this book that you, you cover these different worldviews. So talk to us a little bit more, you know, about that. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm glad you asked that question because, um, uh, I think people do think that because of my background, we, we tend to focus on that and, and only that. Um, one of the things that I, I began to see as I began to look through the evidence for the Bible and the evidence for the gospel itself as a Muslim was, this answers all of my questions. I don't care who you are. I don't care how committed you are as a Muslim or a Hindu or whatever it is. A lot of the questions we have are the same. And oftentimes we, we, we realize that people need to have answers to their questions no matter how committed they are to their religious views. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I think anybody listening to this, to this broadcast, for example, no matter how committed of a Christian you are or if you're not a Christian, um, you have sat up in bed at night and wondered, how can there be a good God if there's so much pain in the world? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a Muslim, you think that. If you're a Christian, you think that. If you're a Hindu, you think that. If you're an atheist, you reject God uh, likely because of the problem of pain. So we all have that question. Mm-hmm. So we need to have a broader answer. So in the section on secular humanism, where I talk about the idea of inherent human value, that actually informs something uh, to the pantheist as well. So in addressing the secular humanist, we can address the pantheist. And in addressing the pantheist, we can address the Muslim as well. Mm-hmm. So we see this interaction here um, uh, between all the major worldviews and how we answer them. Uh, but people also might, might, might be startled to know this. And I know, Matt, you know this from your experience in ministry as well, is that you have a growing sense of skepticism and even atheism in Muslim populations. In fact, I think it was not a few years ago that um, uh, one of the uh, the Grand Muftis and one of the uh, the leaders of uh, in Islam in either Saudi Arabia or one of the Gulf states had mentioned there's a growing problem of atheism among Muslims. They're, mm-hmm. they're not just rejecting Islam in favor of other religion. Mm-hmm. They're rejecting Islam in favor of non-religion. Mm-hmm. And that's an issue. So if that's happening, we can't make assumptions about our Muslim friends. They might be identifying as Muslims culturally, but inside they're actually atheists. And I can tell you, I've walked into several Muslim homes. They've invited me to come and speak to them and ask ask questions about various things. Mm-hmm. And really their issue is, how do I believe in a God who, who loves us if he lets all these bad things happen to us? Sure. How can there be a God? So they're even questioning God's very existence. Right. So that's why we need to have a broader appeal on, on these issues and be able to be have a nice scope in our apologetic as Christians. Oh, that's great. That makes so much sense. Well, what, let me ask you this. Um, this now, has this book just been released or is it up, up and coming or what's the date? It, it just, 
just been released actually. Um, it was uh, it's available in all editions actually, uh, Kindle, uh, iBooks, uh, you know, Moby, uh, PDFs, and all that stuff. You can get it from IVPress.com or go to our website GrandCentralQuestion.com or Amazon or whatever. It's it's widely available through InterVarsity Press. Great. So it's it got released about um, uh, about a week and a half ago. Okay. Um, it's just released. Um, but uh, tell you what, we we, we have and we, we'd like to. Uh, I'd love to tell your listeners about this specifically. What I wanted to do was make sure that this gets into the hands of people, both Christians and non-Christians alike, and that people don't just think, "Oh, one more thick book on a bunch of highfalutin ideas." Mm-hmm. It really isn't that. So what we put together is a couple of uh, free resources to go along with anybody who purchases it. Great. There's a free study guide, both a single session and a multi-session study guide that's great for small groups, mm-hmm. but also great for individual study to help you go through and think about some of the important issues that are raised in each section of Grand Central Question. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also uh, created four additional videos. They're short videos. They range from, I think, 8 minutes to like 15 or 16 minutes to provide additional materials that I didn't have space for in the book, but um, will also help with uh, your study of Grand Central Question. uh, What I do is I ask, you know, can you focus on, when you're reading this section, focus on this question. Mm -hmm. But also I provide additional materials. uh, For example, in the section on secular humanism, one of the things I think is a linchpin to understanding how to answer the Grand Central Question is the resurrection of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so I provide, uh, in in the video on that, I provide the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And in the, the section on Islam, I provide evidence for the Bible. Mm-hmm. So these, these, these videos are additional materials, and they're all free. Awesome. So all they need to do, they need to, they need to go to grandcentralquestion.com, and no matter where they bought the book, whether it's Amazon or the local bookstore or wherever, just give us your email address, uh, put in a date for when you purchase the book, you'll get an automatic response with a link to how to download that free material. Awesome, man. That sounds like a great uh, a great strategy for uh, added value and, and for, for getting the word out there. That's awesome. What, what kind of feedback have you guys gotten so far on it? We've gotten some really great feedback. There's some good reviews um, uh, on Amazon about it. And then, of course, we've been getting some uh, um, uh, interest, interest on blogs and other things, other people who are really uh, sort of promoting the book. And some of those blogs will be coming out pretty soon. As you can imagine, people need to take time to read the book and then actually review it. So right. they're forthcoming. But uh, I've been really heartened, Matt, by the fact that people have said, you know, this really simplifies the approach or puts things into perspective. And I'll tell you the thing that I really have liked the most in terms of um, the feedback is people have said this about whoever it is that they might have a hang-up about. Christians have said this, and I really love this. They have seen people of different faiths or no faiths in a different light. Mm. As where they once saw them as enemies or just those people who are troublemakers and who all they want to do is they're, you know, God's enemies and all this. Mm-hmm. They've seen their struggles and they've seen their issues. Cause I, I go through personal stories. Right. Like uh, in the secular humanism section about a friend of mine who lost his mother at age 10 mm. to, to cancer. And he asked me the question, how can I know that God is good and that God values me or my mother, if you let her die when I was 10 years old. Right. That's a profound question. Yep. And when you see that the cause of unbelief is both intellectual and, and, and emotional, you, hopefully that informs how you should approach them. And I've seen Christians tell me, I've seen my Muslim friends or my Hindu friends or whatever it is in a different way. Mm-hmm. And that's been really gratifying to me. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, do you, do you actually talk about your story and, and share your testimony to someone in the book? Or? 
there, there's some of that in there. It's not bang the bullets um, you yeah. know, from start to finish. Um, <laughs> I've been uh, sort of reticent to do that only sure. because uh, you know, I, I do offer that. If you go to our website, embracethetruth.org, you'll see a, a resource called Islam from the Inside that, that has that. But um, uh, I do it where it informs the, uh, the discussion. You know, Matt, you, you've heard my testimony before, so you know sure. that the, my sudden realization and the authenticity of the Bible was a huge part of that. And so in the section on Islam, I do actually talk about my, 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 my sort of epiphany, you know, pun intended once again, sure. um, the, for um, uh, the authenticity of the Bible, even vis-a-vis the Quran itself. Mm-hmm. So that's in there, and, and maybe even a little bit of my own struggle in, in what kept me from the truth. And, you know, the, the fact of the matter is it took me nine years to become a Christian, and it wasn't because the answers were hard to find, mm-hmm. it was because the answers were hard to accept. Wow. Yeah, um, well, uh, that's amazing. Yeah, I think that's so profound. Wow. Yeah. Now what, uh, so who is your, tell us what, I just kind of want to bullet down here. What is your, first of all, just, you know, you, the, what do you hope to accomplish most of all with this book? And then also, you know, I guess it goes along with that. Who, who's your primary audience? You know, who, who are you really, sure. who do you really want to pick up this book? You know, at the oh, end yeah. of the day, who, who do you really want to be out there picking up this book? You know, I, I remember when, when you first sit down to write, they always tell you, who is your audience? And then think of your audience. Yep. My problem is, I always, I always have to, no matter what I do, Matt, <laughs> whether, you know, whether I'm speaking to an audience of solely Christians and, 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 and the event is meant solely for Christians and then and not for non-Christians just because it's a very Christian event, I always think there could be someone who's not a Christian in this audience. Mm-hmm. Never make an assumption that someone else, uh, that they're not there. Sure. So we have to make sure that we, we, we always, season our discussion with salt and be gracious, as Paul says in Colossians 4, mm-hmm. um, to be careful how we walk with outsiders, making the best use of the time. Yep. And I think that that's important. Um, so I always got my eyes out for the non-Christians, because I used to show up to those events as a non-Christian mm-hmm. um, to see what they had to say when I wasn't, when we weren't looking, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I always have two audiences in mind. It's always Christians, but it's always also non-Christians. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds like, well, that's everybody. Well, that's right. That's everybody. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think that this is going to reach people who have more of a, of a bent towards sharing the, sharing the gospel in intellectual ways. Yeah. But that's a growing number of people. Right. So I'm really looking, to, I, I want Christians to be informed and I want non-Christians to be in on the conversation. And I actually want people to share this with their non-Christian friends because uh, you, you, the, the question you asked is a very good one. What am I trying to accomplish with this book? Here's what it is, basically. I want to encourage Christians that they can share the validity of their faith in ways that touch the heart and the mind. Mm. By You don't have to have everything down. You just have to have a couple of things down and share in a meaningful, friend, friendly, compassionate way that also has conviction in, in the truth. And the second thing I want to accomplish is I want to affirm for the non-Christian, I want them to know that because they're made in God's image, we affirm them as people for whom Christ died, and that we affirm their questions. They're real questions, they're good questions, they're the right questions, but the answers are found in Christ alone. So I want Christians to know that and communicate it, but I want non-Christians to pick up the book and see that we actually do believe um, something that's worth thinking about. Wow, that's awesome. Well, great, worthy, and noble purpose, and I can't wait to get the book myself. I haven't had a chance to get a copy yet, but I I, I can't wait to uh, to read it myself. I'm just looking over the the outline of it, and it just looks like a wonderful book. Uh, so that's that's fantastic. Um, what um. Real quickly, I'm gonna, we're gonna, we have just a few more minutes left in this first segment, and then we're gonna go to the second segment. But I do wanna ask you, do you, looking at the last section, you talk about Islam or the gospel, which tells us about God's greatness, and that really excites me because I think it points in the direction of, 
uh, the, the simple but really profound apologetic that I've heard you share uh, about the, the, the essential Muslim phrase, Allah Akbar. Does that, does that last section, does that spawn from, from that apologetic? And, and can you talk to us about that? You know, the one where you talk about oh, yeah, you know, the greatest yeah, human ethic? Right. Yeah, yeah. That's absolutely right, Matt. That's where it stems from. Um, that this is the, people always hear the phrase Allahu Akbar, um, in, uh, the media, and then something explodes. Uh, unfortunately, that's how, how it's portrayed. It's not really a terrorist chant. Right. It's really a phrase that Muslims use all over the world. Mm-hmm. It literally means God is greater. That's what Allahu Akbar means. Mm-hmm. And so what they're saying is, uh, it's sometimes used in militant senses, but oftentimes the run of the mill, average rank and file Muslim will walk into a house, for example, say Allahu Akbar. It's like a blessing on the house. Mm-hmm. Even if, even for a non Christian, uh, even for a non-Muslim, I should say, um, or they'll get a, a you know bad news and they'll say Allahu Akbar, meaning God is greater than the news I'm receiving. Okay. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a prayer and a praise, but it's the central doctrine of Islam. There's many central doctrines or important doctrines, I should say, like like Tawheed, the idea of God's absolute unity and other things. But these all stem from the Muslim belief that God is the greatest possible being. Mm-hmm. And our I, and what I'm trying to what I, so that book that section of the book says that the central question of Islam is, how do we worship a God who is truly great? Or how is God great? Mm-hmm. How is Allahu Akbar, so to speak? Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is, as a Muslim, I remember this very, very uh, clearly in my own thinking, and of course I know this from interacting with Muslims all over the world, um, Muslims reject the fundamental doctrines of Christianity, the Trinity, the Incarnation, the crucifixion, the atonement, and the resurrection, mm-hmm. because they think that these are the doctrines that insult God's greatness. Mm-hmm. And in this section of the book, I, I go through the evidence and the reasoning to show that these are the very doctrines that demonstrate His greatness. Mm-hmm. If you want to believe in God's greatness, then that is where you find Him. You find Him at, in the Gospel, and you find Him at the cross, because, as you said, the, um, the important apologetic, I think, the ultimate apologetic is always the cross, always the cross. Mm-hmm. And a Muslim believes that God is the greatest possible being. If God is the greatest possible being, then it would stand to reason that he would express the greatest possible ethic, which is love, mm-hmm. in the greatest possible way. And the greatest possible way we know of that God, that anybody can express love is self-sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Now, if that's true, where do you find that? Where do you find the greatest possible being expressing the greatest possible ethic and the greatest possible way of self-sacrifice? You only find it at the cross. Mm-hmm. So if Allahu Akbar, if God is greater, then he is the God of the Bible. Mm. I love it. I love it. That is just, that is powerful stuff, man. And, uh, I have, I have shared that with, uh, with audiences. And when I start to teach, when I do bridges and I share that, I guess one of my favorite apologetics. And I just, I think it really, uh, it's just, it's captivating in so many ways. And so I so appreciate, uh, how you brought that to light. And, uh, and, and you're, I can't wait to read about your, your, your uh, expansion of that in, in this book here. So that's just, um, well, that's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, that's really uh, really really great. Well, um, why don't we do this? Let is let's uh, let's wrap up and uh, this, this first segment because we want to come back uh, for the second second segment and talk a little bit more about uh, kind of your story and and your experience and how it influenced you know the book and, and that sort of thing. Um, so what we'll do is uh, we'll close. What what can we uh, Bob do? What let's close just kind of in a in a quick um, prayer for this segment. How, what can we pray for you about before we close this segment? Well, I just wanted to pray for um, the the impact of the book. You know, numbers is one thing, but I really wanted to touch minds and hearts. Sure. And if there's at least one person who's not a Christian who sees Christ in a different light um, because of uh, the truth that's found in, in the gospel through this book, I would I would that that would just um, make all of it worthwhile. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's pray uh, in that spirit. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come together and talk about uh, this book and this work that Abdu has uh, undertaken. And we just pray your blessing on his efforts, pray your blessing on this book and uh, the purpose uh, to reach uh, and encourage Christians in their um, reach outreach to, 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 to those who don't know you. And we pray that uh, many will pick this book up who don't know you and who will be inspired to to answer those grand uh, central questions. So, Lord, we just pray your blessing on, on the efforts that have gone into it and that it would uh, go far and wide. And uh, we, we thank you for Abdu and his uh, obedience to the faith and his ministry and uh, his passion for uh, telling about you and, and answering those, those tough questions. Uh, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And welcome to Crescent Project Radio. We're starting our second segment with Abdu Murray, uh, talking about his book, Grand Central Question. And we want to continue our discussion with him about the book and his experiences and what's going on in the Muslim world. So, Abdu, let's pick up where we left off in the, the first segment. I want to, uh, I want to talk to you about a little bit about your story and, and how it influenced, you know, the writing of this book. Not only your Muslim background, but also, you know, your experience as a lawyer. I think this book really seems to be rooted in both as we look at how you've laid the thing, how you've laid the, the, the thesis out and, and the case that you make. So, so talk to us about that. Well, sure. You know, and I like the way you asked that question, Matt, because uh, my journey to faith and then me being a lawyer, I, you know, I started my first job as a lawyer right around the time I finally became a Christian. But I became a lawyer. Um, I, I've since gone on to do full-time ministry here, but I became a lawyer because of my love of evidence, and my love of evidence is what drove me to the cross, mm. uh, interestingly enough. So they're intertwined very much so. So you're, you're, I, I'm glad you picked that up, because that's exactly <laughs> sort of how I think that this is, this, this is shaped. Uh, lawyers, um, their job is to take the facts and present the case. Ethical lawyers will present the, the, the facts as they are, subject counterfacts to scrutiny to make sure that all the good facts come in, and then ask the jury, it's up to you to decide now. And in my case, I was both the lawyer and the jury when I was giving the facts uh, about, about Christ. And in the book, I'm trying to basically say, and you can see it in the epilogue of the book, I ask this, the grand central question that each of us has to answer beyond all other questions is, do we want truth or do we want comfort? Because I think it's important. C.S. Lewis says, if you look for comfort, you will not find truth or comfort, only soft soap in the beginning and in the end, despair. Hmm. But if you look for truth, you can find both. Wow. And that's an important thing for us to do. And I think that that's uh, the, the way we need to proceed in our lives. So my, my story basically is <laughs> a journey through that very statement. I started off as, um, uh, as, as a Muslim who's very proud of Islam, and I wanted non-Christians to believe it. You know, I, I didn't fall in line with this whole thing that uh, uh, sort of gained sway for a while. And, and thankfully, I think is starting to die its death of postmodernism, the idea, or relativism, the idea that um, some things are true for you but not for me, but mm-hmm. they can be true for you, and don't push your beliefs on me and all that stuff. Um, I actually believe, and I think most Muslims who are serious about Islam, believe that Islam is true, and everything that is ca- uh, counter to Islam is false. Mm-hmm. Now, so if I believed that, then I, and I cared about my neighbor, and I did, like most Muslims do, I wanted my non-Muslim neighbors to believe Islam. And because I grew up in a, in a suburb of Detroit, um, there was a lot of low-hanging fruit of non-Muslims. Now, there was plenty of Muslim enclaves here in the Detroit area. Mm-hmm. But uh, I also grew up in a, in a spot where there were plenty of non-Muslims. In fact, uh, in the suburb I grew up in, we were sort of rare. Uh, we were sort of the, the pepper and the salt um, <laughs> uh, in the area. So um, I uh, wouldn't stand on street corners and thump my Quran on anybody. But what I would do is, is during my, during my uh, friendships, and it didn't even matter to me when I was young, 
uh, either my friendships or with people who are older than me, um, I would engage in discussions about my favorite topic in the whole world, God. Mm. Um, I love talking about God, even from a young, a young age, and would explore the big ideas, the, the big questions, but also even the details. You know, mm-hmm. uh, how do we know the Quran is, the, is God's word as a Muslim? But also I would challenge Christians. How do you know what you believe is true? In fact, the, the, the question I would typically ask a Christian is this, why are you a Christian? Mm-hmm. And I actually challenge everybody in the, in, in, in the sound, within the sound of our voices, Matt, to ask themselves that question. Yep. Why are you a Christian? Um, the answer I got, mostly, now this is from mostly nominal Christians, was I was raised that way. Yep. Or, you know, my parents are Presbyterian, or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And so I had a follow-up question for them. Is that a good enough reason mm-hmm. to believe something? That's great. And, and it's, not, you know, it's not a good enough reason. It's, you might be right. But it's not a good enough reason to trust this worldview. Mm-hmm. You're trusting your eternal destiny to this worldview. Mm-hmm. So that when they said that, I said, "Look, maybe you're maybe you're wrong. Let me show you how you are." And so <laughs> I, I spent a lot of time telling uh, Christians. And by the way, it was it was it was non Christians, non Muslims of, of every stripe. Mm-hmm. It didn't have to be just Christians. Sure. If it was atheists or Jews or Hindus or whatever it was, I was uh, what I call an equal opportunity faith knocker outer of her. Um, <laughs> I just I, I spent time trying to say, you know, these things are wrong, um, and uh, the Quran is right. So I would challenge Christians on the authenticity of the Bible. You know, some of the, as you know, Matt, uh, the usual objections, the Trinity makes no sense, the Bible's been changed, mm-hmm. um, uh, the Incarnation can't possibly be true, mm-hmm. and how does Jesus' death on the cross pay for anyone's sins? All these kind of things. Right. And most, most, most Christians had zero response back to me. Uh, in fact, I was successful in getting some really thoughtful people to actually start embracing Islam. <laughs> right. Wow. But then there were a couple of Christians, um, sort of annoyingly, who knew what they were, what they believed, and why they believed it? But they weren't annoying because they were jerks. They were annoying because they weren't so easy. <laughs> so, right. So I began, I began to study um, Christianity, uh, and I even minored in comparative religions in school to um, understand other religious views, mostly so I could undermine them. Right. Um, and uh, you know, not in a militant way again, but just during my conversations. And um, I was getting pretty good at it. And I had um, two guys come to the door. At the, in college, um, they were going door to door. Their names were Dave and Pete. Mm. Dave and Pete were two Baptist guys going door to door, and um, a relatively thankless job. Frankly, no one really wanted to listen to what they had to say, especially not in Ann Arbor, Michigan, of all places. <laughs> right. When they came to my, when they came to our door, I said, "Hello, gentlemen, enter my parlor." You know? <laughs> <laughs> so right. I made I made Dave and Pete pretty uncomfortable for hours and hours on end. I bet. Dave, Dave and Pete impressed me with something wasn't always their answers, because they didn't always have the best answers. And sometimes they had no answers, but they had, sometimes they give me the best response you, a Christian can give. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I will get back to you. Mm-hmm. And, th- and then they followed up and actually did. Mm-hmm. And they came back over and over and over again. And that really impressed me, because I could see they were willing to be made uncomfortable, right. willing to be to sit in front of a, 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 a Muslim who had really just antagonism, not in, in tone, but at least in my words, uh, toward what they were saying, and I would make them uncomfortable, and they were willing to be made uncomfortable because they loved me and they wanted the best for me. Mm-hmm. And I for them, too. So we fought, we fostered this relationship, and I wanted to hit them between the eyes with something that would finally knock them down and say, this is a contradiction in the Bible you cannot get past. So I was reading the Bible to find all the flaws in it. And I came across a passage in Luke chapter 3, verse 7 and following. Mm-hmm. And the Baptist was talking to those who were coming to him to be baptized, and he says, uh, who told you to flee from the wrath to come? And think not to say to yourself that you have Abraham as your father, as if that would save them, just simply being Abraham's children. Mm-hmm. For I tell you, he says, God can raise up sons of Abraham from the stones. 
In other words, your tradition is basically worthless mm. when it comes to truth. If it's the truth, great. But if it's not, you're in trouble. Right. And suddenly it hit me, Matt. It was I had asked Christians my whole life, "Why are you a Christian?" And then they'd say, "Tradition." And I said, "That's not a good enough reason." And John the Baptist was agreeing with me. <laughs> he was saying, "That's right." But then it took. You know, it's funny because no one ever asked me the question, "Why are you a Muslim?" Mm-hmm. Um, it took John the Baptist, <laughs> the power of the Spirit, twenty centuries of time to ask me that question. Wow. And he did, and I realized it wasn't the evidence. It was that I had to be. I was. I, I had formed an identity for myself, and you know, culturally speaking and all these things, I realized that I had to be. Well, that shifted my thinking slightly. I started to think, hey, you know what, maybe I should just really shore up my beliefs and try to make sure I believe what's true, not what's comfortable. Mm-hmm. So I began to look at things, and I saw uh, some things in the Quran that suggested that the Bible actually is authentic, and we can get into that later, but uh, that the Bible is actually authentic. And I began to look at this and say, oh my goodness, I'm looking at this, and I've been told the Bible's been changed, and the Quran came to correct those changes and those corruptions. But really, you can't read the Quran and see that. Um, and then you, you, you can actually see that from all the commentators, the earliest commentators on the Quran. They would not agree that the Bible has been changed either. Mm-hmm. It was more of a later Muslim invention, this idea of corruption. Mm-hmm. So I begin to look into the evidence and say, well, maybe, you know, being a lawyer by training, I try to find loopholes. So maybe the Bible was changed after the Quran. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, when you look at the evidence, it wasn't. It just, it, what we have today is what they wrote then. Mm-hmm. So I began to see that there's um, what Al Gore called an inconvenient truth, <laughs> um, which yeah. is that um, uh, the, the Quran says the Bible is right. Mm. The Bible and the Quran do not agree with each other on some very important things, like yeah. the deity of Christ, like the Trinity, like the Incarnation, like the crucifixion for heaven's sake, and of course, the resurrection of Jesus. Right. So over, to make a long story just a little longer, I, I began to look at the evidence for the resurrection itself specifically, and I, I, could, I could see, I intellectually knew, I assented in my mind that the Bible was God's word, that Jesus said he was the Son of God who came to die for the sins of the world, and that he rose from the dead to prove it. Mm. Mm. But I wouldn't believe it because I knew the consequences. But finally, when I realized that the consequences don't compare to what I would be getting in return. Sure. Although it could be dire, it's who I was getting, not what I was getting, mm-hmm. that, would, that would fulfill me. That's when I gave my life to the Lord and figuratively speaking, he made me into a son out of a stone. Wow. So I, you could see it really, you know, blossoming from, it's funny, uh, Matt, um, Ravi Zacharias once said, um, I, I do some speaking on, on behalf of RZIM, and Ravi once said, the Bible often uh, rises up to outlive its pallbearers. Mm. And the mm. truth in that, I was trying to outlive the Bible and be its pallbearer. But the Bible didn't rise up to outlive me. The Bible rose up to give me life. Wow. I think that that's an important part of what we need to understand, is that our apologetics are important, but the Bible being God's Word and its power and its profundity are really what can change hearts and minds. Wow. Wow, that's that's profound. I love it. That's fantastic. And I love how, you know, you've you've shared the, the fact that the, the 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 cost was something that you had to weigh and it was what really, you know, in other words, you recognize the truth, but it was it was, it was the difficulty of the truth that kept you, you know, for a while from from accepting it. So that's just that's really powerful for people to hear out there, especially those who are who are wrestling, you know, with that that same decision. Well, let me well, It's also it's, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Matt, but it's it's also not something that Muslim space Hindus face it, mm-hmm. and atheists face it. In fact, in the prologue of Grand Central Question, mm-hmm. um, I actually go through this and say it's not just the religiously minded or the traditionally minded who have to deal with these costs. I, I quote Thomas Nagel, for example, a professor of philosophy at New York University, who is himself an atheist, 
who in honest moments says, look, I don't want there to be a God, and so I, I, I choose to reject him based on my desires. Aldous Huxley says the same thing. You see it over and over again. People of non-religious faith actually have these very same barriers mm-hmm. uh, to have to breach, and if we don't recognize that as Christians, then we're going to spend a lot of time spinning our wheels and not addressing the real issues. Absolutely. Man, that's so helpful, so helpful. Well, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about what God's doing in the Muslim world. Uh, yeah. can, can you, uh, which is profound, it's obviously a profound movement, and we talk about that here on the show. Can you give us a sense of what you're seeing out there, and, and are, are Muslims really really more open today? Uh, they are. It kind of depends on, on, on the segment of Islam you're talking about. As you know, um, it's not um, a monolith in terms of its expressions. You have Muslims who are very skeptical of all things, including Islam, but identify culturally as Muslims. Then mm-hmm. you have Muslims who are very, very serious about their Islam. And um, I think they're all open in different ways. Mm-hmm. And I, we're seeing God move for them in incredibly important ways that matter to them. Um, because it's not just a one-size-fits-all thing. It's not just one way to reach them or one way to, to exploit their openness. Right. I say exploit in, 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 in the nicest possible way. Right. Um, uh, I see, you, you hear reports of Iranians, for example. You know, Iran is in the news quite a bit lately, um, uh, especially with regard to what's happening in Syria and other places. And you see Iranian Muslims actually considering, uh, rank-and-file Muslims are actually not that, not that enthralled with what's happening, and so they're seeing alternate uh, possibilities in terms of worldviews. Now, many of them are becoming highly secularized, but many of them are actually considering the claims of Christ, and they want a religious center, and they see a spiritual attraction through the gospel, and they're giving their lives to him. I see it there. We see it in Africa. In fact, I got a report this past year. We, we, we were just thanking God that our videos made it into the hands, our videos and some of our written materials made it into the hands of some pastors in Kenya who were sharing with the Muslim youth, and 65 of them gave their life to the Lord mm. after quite a few weeks wow. of working through the materials, but they did. And so you see their openness there as well. Mm. Um, in America, you're seeing it. Uh, one of the things that I think that people um, really need to hear so they can be encouraged to do some simple, easy outreach is Muslims are coming to the West. Muslims from, over the, from overseas are coming to the West for education. Um, gone are the days when you need when you need a passport to be a missionary. Right. All you need is a desire to share. You mm. can walk across the street, on, you know, over your fence and talk to them. So you're seeing in the West um, quite a few former uh, Muslims who are who are embracing the gospel, um, and uh, they're doing it because their Christian neighbors are reaching out to them. They're showing them Christ-like love. They're showing them friendship, and they're not being their friends to make them converts. Muslims and non-Christians see that from a mile away. Right. They're, they're being their friends to be their friends. Right. But in the course of living the Christian life, there's an attraction there, and we're seeing them um, come to faith. So this is a time for Christians to really be encouraged that, that, that God is doing amazing things in uh, what are considered to be har- harsh and hostile areas. Um, is there lots of work to do? There's lots of work to do. We don't just sit, sit back and say, okay, well, God's doing this, so I'll just sit back and watch it. Right. Um, we are, we are, God does it through us, so we need to be active parts of it. But it's happening, and I'm excited about it, man. Yeah, it's awesome. I am too. And we, and we, we, we're, we're encouraged to hear stories all the time about different things happening. And there was a story recently that I read about where, uh, some sheiks, uh, in Saudi Arabia had started importing Bibles, uh, because of some efforts for, from an event of a missionary over there that had convinced him. Uh, that he ought to read the Bible, that the Quran says that he ought to read the Bible. And he, he over, he said over a thousand cups of tea and over three years, he convinced, uh, these, um, uh, 
these sheiks that they needed to start importing Bibles and they started doing it. And so, you know, only God could do something like that, you know? And, uh, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm deeply encouraged as well. And, uh, it's just, it's good to see, you know, this openness. And what do you think? I mean, is that, is, is part of that was, was part of that openness, maybe an encouragement for you in the writing of your book, uh, grant such a question because, Ironically, as we talked about uh, many times in Crescent Project, you know, Muslims are not allowed to ask questions, you know, because Islam is so authoritarian in nature. Uh, it, it's it, don't they don't they often uh, aren't they often kind of persecuted for asking questions and, and just just wanting to know? I mean, yeah, well, you're absolutely right, Matt. I mean, uh, there is an author- authoritarian structure. Thankfully, there's be- there's becoming a more of a a uh, um, uh, more sort of centering of Islamic idea- Islamic scholarship but also a centering of uh, Islamic uh, culture and society, especially in the West, where they're allowed to consider things, and they're they're living in countries where religious freedom and free thought is flourishing, Mm -hmm. or at least encouraged. Um, And uh, I think that, um, so you're seeing them start to ask these questions. give you an example of this, Matt. I uh, I did a debate, and this, again, speaks to the the reason why we need to be broad Mm -hmm. in our appeal. Sure. Uh, No matter who we're trying to reach, we should be broad in our appeal on all these questions. I did a debate at West Texas A&M University mm-hmm. uh, a number of years ago, and I was debating an atheist on God's existence. And five Saudi Arabian foreign exchange students showed up. Mm. And then they came to an after event where I was speaking to a, to a Christian audience on my, on my testimony. And um, they came, and one of the students, a very bright young man, asked to uh, was starting to ask questions during the Q&A period. And so he, so as you can imagine, it, it began to be a, a takeover where um, the, the quite fewer Christians were asking questions, and he was asking most of the questions. <laughs> the Christians wanted him to because they were like in, they were they were enthralled by this, this dialogue we were having. Sure, it was very friendly and very respectful and very engaging. So I invited him up on the stage. And we began to have this conversation, and as we did, I could see. Uh, in the audience, there were a couple of cameras, not like just people who were just filming it uh, personally, but they actually had set up on tripods some cameras. Mm-hmm. So after the event, I knew that this had happened, and I said, okay, look, I'm okay with this being put on YouTube. I'm out there already. I'm okay with this. My guess is my, my friend here is not. And he said, no, absolutely not. If this gets out that I even asked these questions in the way I asked them, if, it, if they knew I was this open, I'm done for. Wow. Now, that's, that's profound. Wow. And so I actually asked him, I said, isn't that a great reason? Those, that, that, that price, isn't that a great reason to not be open-minded about what we shared today? Please continue to look for the truth. And he said he would. Mm. But that's why but that, that openness exists. They're coming to the West to get an education. But part of the educational system in the, in the West is to expose people to different competing and often hostile worldviews, mm-hmm. um, whether it's atheistic, whether it's pantheistic, whether it's whatever it might be. Uh, we, the university is all about unity in diversity. That's what the word actually means. So you have a diversity of opinions in one place. So they're already looking at it, and they expect to be challenged in their worldviews. They expect it. So if that's the case, then they're going to ask questions, at least while they're here. And if we answer the grand central questions, then we can influence them in a positive way for Christ. And, and, and Matt, if I could, I just wanted to sort of reiterate something from the first segment, and, sure. uh, in case people are just tuning in. Sure. But we're offering through grandcentralquestion.com, grandcentralquestion.com, some bonus materials, study guides you can go through with your non-Christian friends or your small group or whatever it is, uh, but also um, uh, free videos that offer some additional evidence for the uh, veracity of Christianity and 
how we can answer our non-Christian friends' Grand Central questions. You just go to grandcentralquestion.com, give us your email address, tell us, tell us that you bought the book, Grand Central Question, and you'll get access to the free materials. Um, but, uh, yeah, back to your question. Absolutely, I am uh, convinced that everyone asks the questions, and those who are in positions, even those who are not, um, who are under an authoritative structure, the Internet is a beautiful thing. <laughs> it can be used for evil, but in many ways it's used for God's glory. You know, God uses these things in ways that we don't understand. How many stories have you and I heard, Matt, where people in very hostile environments, oppressive environments, whether it's communist or radical Muslim or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. are actually able to look out, go find the evidence, and make it for themselves? Is it yeah. tough for them? You bet. But is it possible? You bet. Yep. Yep, absolutely. You're exactly right. And I'm, I'm actually really, really encouraged to hear about, uh, the, the work that's being done through Facebook, for instance. Um, mm. tremendous amount of outreach is happening now uh, through Facebook. Uh, people seeking out language partners, um, or just seeking out friends on Facebook to have discussions about God. And, yep. uh, what we're seeing is, is really consistent with what, what, what you're saying is that, you know, somebody in Saudi Arabia, uh, for instance, can get online and, and, and seek out these questions and start learning from people in the outside world that they never had a chance to before. And um, so you're exactly right. God is using all of these mediums, and technology is really opening up a huge swath of, of, of previously unreached areas. And, um, boy, it really is encouraging. And uh, now more than ever, I, I have to tell you, I when I, I teach, and I'm sure you do too, you t- I tell people, you know, there's really no excuse anymore not to reach out to the lost and reach out to Muslims, especially in particular because so many of them are here and because technology. I mean, you can, you can reach Muslims now in your own pajamas or in your own room right now. You know, you can, uh, you know, you don't have to leave your own house now if you don't want to. You can reach them on Facebook or social media and just different things. So it's really. Absolutely. Ex- yeah. I, you know, one of the things that we found, Matt, is that, um, and I've seen people do this more and more, and I've seen it being done effectively. I know a lot of ministries where the, the speakers are out there, and it's a public forum. It's not like a specifically Christian event, but it's a public forum that's meant for non-Christians to come in dialogue. Um, Twitter has been a really great uh, tool as well. Oh, it's wow. Hard to, make a whole ar- to make a whole argument in 140 characters. But <laughs> tell you, one thing we've done is that at our public event, you know, um, I, I put out my, my Twitter Twitter handle, at, you know, at Abdu Murray, and then I put a hashtag for the event. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm uh, uh, this weekend, uh, you know, I'm at a university, let's say, I'll put hashtag Abdu and I'll put the name of the university. Then I'll encourage people uh, to get out their phones during the talk and tweet something I say. People often ask me, you know, how do I begin the conversation with my Muslim friends or my Christian or my non-Christian friends, uh-huh. Hindus, whatever it might be? And I say, you know what? Um, here's some tips for you to do that. But here's another way. I'll start it for you. <laughs> so tweet something I said, or tweet something you heard someone say. Um, post a, a lead to an article of someone something interesting, whether they're a non-Christian or a Christian, and elicit some thoughts. Ministry happens in great ways, um, in the replies on Twitter or uh, on Facebook or Google Plus or whatever. Um, the, there's so many options available to us for interaction, but we, we can never forsake the best way, which is actually literally sitting across the table from each other and having a one-on-one face-to-face dialogue. But absent that, there's going to be some people we'll never be able to meet in our lives who are in Nairobi or mm-hmm. who are in Kinshasa or who are in France, and we can, we can make a positive impact for Christ. Absolutely, absolutely. 
Well, it's a great discussion, Abdu, and I, I wish you uh, the best of luck with your book. And uh, really excited to hear about that, to talk about that today. I encourage all of our listeners out there to go check out Grand Central Question. And uh, you can check it out on his website, um, and uh, which he's mentioned, embracethetruth.org and grandcentralquestion.org. Is that right? Dot, dot org or dot com? Uh, dot com. Okay, yeah. grandcentralquestion.com. Great. Well, Abdu, we are so grateful for your time today, and uh, we will um, look forward to having you on again another time. And uh, we'll just uh, close again uh, with prayer. Abdu, would you close us in, in a prayer then as we close today, this show? Absolutely. Father, I, I thank you for what you're doing uh, in the world today. There, there's a need, like never before, the stridency against the gospel has never been more um, out there, Lord. Uh, but you redeem things where the Internet has allowed, uh, has allowed for disinformation or misinformation about your son. You have used it, Lord, to present the, the true information about your son as well. I pray for the Christians who are listening that they be recommitting their lives to uh, evangelism and um, sharing the gospel in ways that has the mind and the heart. And I pray, Lord, for anybody who's not a Christian, who's considering whether or not Jesus is the real deal or, he's, uh, or your son is worth believing in, that they see that there's evidence out there, that they see the many resources that Crescent Project puts out, that we put out, that so many great authors have put out, Lord. They weigh that in all the evidence there is and find that the truth is found in your son, and he is the way, the truth, and the life. And if they know him, if they know the truth, then they will be free indeed, because your son, the truth, sets people free. We pray these things in the, in the name of your son, whom we serve and whom we follow and whom we love. Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. And once again, this is the Crescent Project bringing you powerful teaching, testimony, and truth about God's miraculous movement in the Muslim world and how we as Christians can join him in this kingdom work. I'm Matt Bonner, and I serve as a regional director with the Crescent Project, a national Christian ministry focused on equipping the church to share the gospel with Muslims. We believe we have a hope worth sharing. You can find us online at crescentproject.org. We hope you join us again next time on the Crescent Project.